I want you to take your Bible this morning and be turning with me back to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. And as you're turning there, zoom. All right. Eager to get there to children. Get that front row seat, just like so many on Sunday morning in, in uh, big church. Amen. Amen. I know how that works. <clears throat> Amen. You got your Bibles this morning? There, I know why you don't sit on the... Well, never mind. <clears throat> we won't go. We'll save that for another time. Uh, but all of us have God's Word open before our hearts this morning. We want to hear God speak. This is the mirror we're looking into. And we're just continuing our study of the attributes of God. And I thought that there was no better way to uh, study the attributes than to uh, stop on the day that we celebrate our nation's independence than to talk about God's sovereignty and recognize that we are not independent of Him. We are dependent upon Him. Our founding fathers knew that. Now, I know they may not teach us in history class anymore, and civics is no longer taught, frankly, in the schools to our detriment. But our founding fathers, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, they mentioned God clearly four times. First, they acknowledged that He was the Creator. He made all things. And so as the sovereign God, He's the one, He has control over it because He made it. It's His. They also recognized that He is the foundation of, of morality, another thing that's sadly not taught in history class. You see, he's the lawgiver. All the principles and precepts upon which our government was founded and established, even the form of our government recognized that was found in Torah, in the law. And the lawgiver gives the law. There's only one lawgiver, the sovereign God. You can't have multiple laws and everyone doing what's right in their eyes because then there will be lawlessness. Because everybody just says, this is right for me. doesn't matter what you think. They realized that was not what God had given them. They realized, they testified that he was also the judge of the world. And one day, he will judge all things. And they also testified to his hand of providence. Divine providence that at times interferes in the lives of nations and peoples. Why does that matter today? Because these references to God, they matter because they reveal something very significant that they often brought up. John Adams, I think, summarized it best in his letter to the Massachusetts militia in 1798. He said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. You see, when we... Walk away from the principles and precepts that the sovereign God has given us. The true lawgiver. When we turn our backs on the way he created things and despise the way he ordered things. When we fail to recognize one day we have to give an account to that judge who judges all things. When we live as such people, there's no ability to govern those people. You see... What they realized is there is one that is sovereign and supreme. That is over all men, including the king. That's why they turned away from him. They formed our nation. They based it on all of their arguments for independence on the laws of God. On his nature, his essence, who he is. And they trusted him to guide America through its struggles. And they recognized that he... And he alone was sovereign God, the creator, the lawgiver, the judge, the hand of providence, 
the sovereign king. Now stop and think about it for a moment. Have you ever thought, what if no one is in control of everything? What what if no one is in control of everything that is happening right now on the face of the earth? Now some think that's true. And I'm certain that there are times that we feel or think like things are out of control in our own lives. I mean, the fires are burning out of control up in Canada. Nobody seems to be able to stop that. And it affects all types of people. Uh, The government spending is out of control, but we'll save that for another lecture. Amen. You know, if you live in Ukraine, I'm sure the people in Ukraine think things are out of control. Every nation goes through periods of time, seasons, when they experience national calamities and catastrophes. And the households within those nations also experience seasons where they wonder who's in control. Periods of grief and sorrow, times of hardship, financial instability, sickness, loss. If you've ever been in a hospital emergency room, ever been there? When there's panic and fear, perhaps even desperation, and things just seem totally out of control. In walks someone who's in control, the ER doctor, who seemingly is unfazed as everyone else is scurrying about trying to figure out what's going on. He, he understands what's happening, he knows what to do, and he just goes about doing it. The desperate situation of some patients doesn't cause him to panic. Why? Because he's focused. Yes, he knows the needs, he feels the needs of his patients, but he's not overcome or overwhelmed by them. And see, in this situation, in our harried world, what we know is there is certainly someone who is in control, and that is vital for us. Because you see, his, the stability that he provides is a result of his sovereignty over all things. Because our God is on his throne and will never be moved, he has control over everything that's happening. Even when you and I think it's out of control, he still is in control. We've studied the attributes of God and what we've discovered is that God is far above anything you and I could ever conceive. He's transcendent so high. His status is supremely above all things. But he's not so completely above us that he's detached from this creation that he made. He's not detached from sustaining this creation day by day. His sovereignty is the exercise of his supremacy over all things. Because he is on his throne and is supreme above all things, he sovereignly reigns and rules over it. As the creator, sovereignty tells us that God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He sovereignly reigns over all creatures, everyone. Every action, every action that anyone takes, not just human beings, but all the creatures and all things, every atom of this creation is under his sovereign rule. Every speck of dust is under his sovereign rule. And he does that by his perfect wisdom, with his infinite power, And with his absolute righteousness. Our God is free to do all things according to his purposes for his good pleasure and glory. All of that. And we are blessed when we recognize that. 
You see, our God is subject to no one. He answers to no one. He does as he pleases and only as he pleases. You and I might shake our fists at him, but he does exactly what he has purposed he will do. And no one can hinder him. No one can thwart his purposes. As he says in Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10, My counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. He's directing all things from his throne in the universe. And the good thing is, he works all things, not only according to the counsel of his will, but for his glory, and if you're one of his children, for your good. You see, this sovereignty is critical to my daily walk, to your daily walk. You see, what it assures me of this, there is a God who is omniscient. There is a God who is omnipotent. There is a God who is absolutely free. He knows everything that's happening. He doesn't just know everything that is happening. He knows everything that could have happened. He knows everything that people thought might happen. He knows everything, all the potential things. He knows it. He also has all the power to do everything that he has purposed. Even when individuals don't want to do what he has said will be purposed. And he's completely sovereign over the affairs of the men of this world. Now, as I said, there's no attribute that should be more appreciated by God's children than the sovereignty of God. I should appreciate that this morning. Why? Anybody going through a trial? Anybody been through a trial recently? Anybody unaware you're about to go through a trial. You see, nothing can bring peace to my heart and my soul more than this attribute. To know my God is in control. To know that he is aware of what is happening. To know he has the power to do something about what is happening. And to know that his purposes are glorious and good. Ask Joseph about God's sovereignty. I mean, the dreams were true. Uh, but, but before the brothers bowed down to him, they sold him into slavery. And he endured hardship in prison. And yes, his feet were put into fetters, but God poured steel into his nefesh, his soul. And steeled him to stand firm, even when it was chaos around him. He never ever lost sight of the promises of God and the sovereign reign of God. Ask Esther about God's sovereignty. Events seemed out of control. The, the destruction of the Jewish people. And, and when Esther was there and Mordecai, the king had dictated ruin for all of their people and, and was poised to triumph. But God was at work. I mean, the one book of the Bible where God's not even really mentioned by name, yet it demonstrates God's sovereignty, and it's, it's, it's exemplified by Mordecai's exhortation to Esther when he says, Hey, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? The message is clear. God's sovereign. He may have put you here for this moment. I mean, do you and I look at our lives sometimes and really recognize 
My God is in control. And I may be in this job, on this team, in this position to have influence for the kingdom of God and to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Oh, that we live with a vision of God's kingdom, his reign, his rule in our lives every single day. And realize, man, I can live at peace no matter what's happening around me because I know who is on the throne. The problem is sometimes, let's be honest, we want to be on the throne rather than allowing God to reign and rule and call the shots. You see, his sovereignty is ensured by his omniscience, which we've already discussed. His sovereignty is ensured by his omnipotence, and that works for us to provide assurance in my daily life because I know God, who is faithful and true, we've already studied that, is going to fulfill every promise that he has given to us. He keeps his word. Praise God. See, unlike the promises made by fellow men, our parents, or even ourselves, to our spouses, to others, God always keeps his word and ensures his will will be done. Now see, this attribute is the most most appreciated by God's people when we really surrender to it. But no attribute is more despised by the world than this attribute, the sovereignty of God. You see, over in Psalm 2, the nations rage. They shake their fist at God. They want to break the the chain, the fetter. They don't want to be in bondage to Him any longer. They don't want to acknowledge Him. They want to call the shots. And and God, the picture there is He just sits on His throne in heaven and He kind of looks down and He laughs. He goes, are you for real? I mean, are you serious? Do you not realize I could speak a word and there'd be no more? His ultimate power. And sometimes, beloved, we can act like this. Spurgeon said this, men will let God be everywhere but upon his throne in heaven. Wow. You see, there's no greater joy than when you can say this. Thy will be done. There's no greater disappointment than when you say, my will be done. You see, there's only two camps. There's only two options. Either you and I are surrendered to God's sovereignty. Thy will be done. Or we're trying to work out our plans without him. My will be done. Now, if you claim to be an ambassador of his kingdom and of this king, then everywhere you and I go, we are declaring this attribute, this sovereign rule and reign. We seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness that goes along with that sovereign rule. Our king has a righteous scepter. He reigns and rules that way. Our God is sovereign. Our God reigns. Listen, shame on us when we don't not just declare it with our lips, but by our lives. And yet the Muslim and other religions declare their God is greater than ours. Shame on us. We've already read this verse from Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their gods are just idols. 
Their gods have mouths but don't speak, eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear, hands but don't handle, feet but don't move anywhere. Our God sits on his throne and reigns and rules. And when we read this psalm, just these eight verses in just a moment, this is a celebration that Israel would would recognize God is sovereign. The main point is the declaration in verse 7 that God is the king of the earth. As we stand today, the question as we stand and read this is this. Is he not just the king of the earth, but is he the king of my life? Is he reigning and ruling this morning? Am I willingly, joyfully surrendered to his sovereignty in the daily affairs of life? Because I'm telling you, there is a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to his sovereignty and acknowledge it. We we can shake our fists at him now, but one day we will bow and acknowledge it. Now we do it by standing and, and hearing him speak. It's a recognize that there, a recognition that there's an authority that's over us this morning. And so I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. In honor of the God who spoke this word. And in celebration of his sovereignty. I just want to read a few verses here from Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the people's under us and the nations under our feet he will choose our inheritance for us the excellence of Jacob whom he loves Selah God has gone up with a shout the Lord with the sound of a trumpet sing praises to God sing praises sing praises to our king sing praises for God is the king of all the earth sing praises with understanding God reigns over the nations. He, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together. The people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Father in heaven, may we exalt you this morning. May we celebrate you this morning as you are the king who reigns. Lord, our prayer today is if there is anyone here in the sanctuary, any listening on the radio or watching online that does not acknowledge that you are the sovereign king, may they realize that you came to make a provision, a way to provide the provision so that a way could be made so that we could become citizens of your kingdom, that we could be heirs of your kingdom, joint heirs with Christ, and that Father, The best place that we can be is yielded and surrendered to your reign and rule. God, if if we attest that today and our lives don't reflect it, then I pray your spirit would convict us and we would yield and surrender to you and experience the manifold blessings you have for your people. We give you all the glory and all the honor, King Jesus, because we realize you are the King of kings. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said amen and amen. You may be seated methodically at the New Year's festival in calling all the people to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. The, the Jews would gather in this song of celebration. They would begin to clap their hands. And the song was repeated seven times before the sounding of the trumpets to announce the festival. And they would celebrate that their God reigns. 
And they would call all the people to worship the awesome king. Now notice this in verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye peoples. This is not a song merely for the Jewish people. This is for all peoples to acknowledge that there is only one who reigns. You cannot have conflicting authorities and equal power. Neither one really reigns or rules. That's Eastern thinking. There is one supreme being. There is one almighty God. There is one who is the law giver. And it's our God. That's what they celebrated. That's what they acknowledged. And they appealed to everyone to say, come on, now's the time. Recognize him, or as Psalm 2 says, kiss the sun while there's time. Acknowledge him while he might still bless you because there's coming a day when there will be judgment. Our God is the awesome God, and He is to be exalted and praised. He is awesome. He is the great King of all the earth. What does it mean that He's awesome? Listen, this is more than just some surfer dudes in California saying, Dude, that's awesome. No, no, no. To be awesome means you are awestruck with an act, something God has done. And God has done, all throughout the pages of Scripture, Awesome things. His acts are always acts of awe. For example, who can speak and bring something out of nothing? Only our God. And that's what he did. Who, who has the ability not only to make all these things, but to sustain it day by day and keep it in its perfect place? Only our God. In fact, what's amazing, just back in Psalm 46, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we're not afraid when the world is chaos and falling apart, falling into the sea, total chaos. It looks like there's no control. The affirmation is this. Well, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She sh he shall not be moved. Why? Because he's on his throne. He's reigning and he's ruling from heaven. And while it may seem chaotic here, God is at work. In fact, he demonstrated this. The nations raged, verse 6 of, chapter of Psalm 46, and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. God demonstrated this time and again. You see, what you discover when you go over to the Old Testament is this. God spoke at times, and he brought judgment, and he demonstrated through an awesome act the redemption that only he could bring. And the Jews are calling all the people to acknowledge the awesome acts of God. Do you know when God delivered his people out of bondage, he demonstrated his awesome power when he destroyed all the gods, all the deities that the Egyptians worshipped. And then he led his people through the wilderness. He led them out and he demonstrated his awesome power even before they got into the wilderness through the Red Sea when he drowned the mightiest army of that time. God demonstrated time and again that he has awesome power and the opportunity is for us, for people to see and believe all the peoples, even when they were walking through the wilderness and approaching the land. Do you remember what Rahab said when they got there? The spies? We've heard about your God. We, we know what he did to Sion. We know what he did to Og. 
God's reputation was there. Beloved, you and I have the responsibility as those who have surrendered to him to declare our God is the awesome God. We should be celebrating that and we should tell the Gentiles, the nations around us, how awesome he is. Imagine, listen, your responsibility, my responsibility in calling those around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, those that are on our team, to recognize God is awesome. What is one thing that you and I could show and share with them to demonstrate that God is worthy of worship as the sovereign, awesome king? Well, he's got a little history lesson that still exists to this day. And it's not merely what's written on these pages. But there's this tiny little nation called Israel. And he, it continues to exist to this day. And time and again, God has delivered his people and done mighty acts on their behalf. And their existence today, despite all that everyone is, all those who have tried to destroy them, God has demonstrated he is the awesome God who is watching over them. In fact, he says it this way, verse 3. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has a plan for that tiny little nation. It will play a key role in the end times. He will subdue. In the past, present, future, God reigns and rules. But in the future, he will subdue all things under his feet. And, and, and the truth is this, he will choose and has chosen Israel and will grant them what he has promised them, that land. You can fight against it, but you cannot stop the plans of God. He gave those promises, and when he gave those promises to Abram and to Abram's seed, the pride of Jacob was that land that they would enjoy, and the God who had given it to them, and they are going to enjoy it, but the blessing to them was of a seed that would come, that would be a blessing to all the Gentiles, to all the world. And that's Jesus. Our awesome God is the one who alone does awesome things. Could someone please tell me what awesome thing Muhammad has done? Could someone please tell me what awesome thing Buddha has done? Could someone please tell me what awesome thing Confucius has done? Nothing. None of them have done anything awesome. But it's our God. In fact, you know what, in this day of the new age type of thinking, where not only we have these types of gods, but we want to be our own gods, is there anything that we have done that is truly awesome and worthy to, to have people awestruck? I mean, I know America's got talent, but come on. None of that compares to the awesomeness of our God. And this is the affirmation. And the call is for everyone to acknowledge who He is. But he's not just the awesome God. He's also the ascended God. Notice what it says in verses 5 through 7. God has gone up with the shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. What is it that I must understand? What is it that I must know? The sons of Korah wrote this song and called for people to praise the Lord and to recognize he is the exalted one who has gone up. 
He's gone up with a shout, which means he's gone up with victory. When did God go up? If he went up with the shout back to his transcendent home there in heaven, his residence, then he must have done what? Come down. Well, when did he come down? When did the sovereign king demonstrate in awesome ways his presence among his people? I already told you about them. That was in the Exodus. When God delivered his people out of their bondage, out of the bondage of Egypt, Pharaoh thought he called the shots. God said, well, here's a newsflash. No, you don't. And Moses brought the word and said, God said, let his people go or else. And we know all the, all, all the or else's, all ten plagues. When God decimated the Egyptians, led his people by fire into the wilderness, drowned the mightiest army uh, in, of the world at that time in the Red Sea, and led them into the promised land, casting all the nations out before them. He came down and brought them redemption. Praise God. Hey, y'all know what? He came down again. You see, he came down again. And he brought redemption to mankind. He, he understood that, that we were in bondage. But, but he didn't regard equality with God as something to hold on to. As Paul says in Philippians 2. He didn't hold on to that privileged position on his throne in heaven. But he stepped down. And when he stepped down, he left his throne and emptied himself of everything but love. And he came and he took on the form of man, the form of a servant. And he came and he died for you and for me. And paid the cruel death that my sin deserved, that your sin deserved, and the sin of the whole world deserved. And when he paid that penalty, he ransomed us and he bought us and rescued us. And he broke the shackles of sin. So no longer do we have to live under the power of sin, but we can be free from that. And now he's given us a hope, a hope in our hearts, because he's demonstrated not only that he's the way, the truth, and the life, but he's also demonstrated that he came down and he went back up. He ascended. He ascended back to his throne in heaven. And there he went back to the place from which he stepped down. And he went back there to the Father's right hand, the hand of privilege and the hand of power. And he went back up just as he knew he would. And he sat down once for all time. Why? Well, he ascended. Because it means the work on earth was finished. He accomplished what the Father had sent him to do. The work was accepted by the Father. Beloved, when Christ shed his blood, it was finished. Praise God. He accomplished everything necessary so that you and I could be saved. Anyone, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord, can be saved. And there now, his work is to prepare a place for you and for me that he promised. And any and all who will believe in him. And now his work there is to serve as a great high priest, an intercessor that intercedes for you and for me. And because he did that, there is now a pattern of him coming down and going back up. And beloved, he's going to come down one more time. Woo! He's going to come down and establish his reign on this earth for a thousand years. And he will come down and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's sovereign. He's the king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is ascended on his throne now. And as the ascended one who sits on his throne, he is the authoritative one. There is no other who has authority. In fact, that's what he told his disciples, right? 
Hey, listen. Uh, as you're going through life, make disciples. Why? Because all authority has been given to me. I have all authority and I'm giving you all authority with the mission I'm giving you. He's the authoritative king who sits on his throne. And there can only be one ultimate authority, only one truly sovereign. And the psalmist affirms that. The God, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. Do you understand that today? God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Listen, there may be governing officials who think they're in control. They're not. Our God is. The princes of the people, they gather together. The people of God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. You see, there is one who reigns and rules. And everybody has to make that decision. Either I am declaring, thy will be done. You are the ultimate authority. And I yield my life and surrender to what you say and what you command me to do. Or I'm in the other camp and I'm saying, no, my will be done. I will not do what you want to do. But the psalmist says, no, our God reigns over all the nations. Though they despise him, though they reject his rightful leadership, although they fight against his reign and rule, he still rules over them, even when they shake their fists. You know what's fascinating? Proverbs 21.1, the heart of kings is in the hands of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. They think they're doing their own will. At the end of the day, you know whose will they're accomplishing? The sovereign God's will. It's amazing how sovereign he is. He can give man that free will and still accomplish all of his sovereign purposes. You see, he sits on his throne. And by the way, he will not be moved from that location. He will not be usurped. There was one who once flew over that throne and thought, you know what? I think I'll be God. And God said, no, I don't think so. Not in my lifetime. Why don't you get out? And he booted him out. The princes, the people, the shields, the picture here is all those who reign, all of those under their reign, God's people and other people, and those who have the shields, those who have the power, the warriors, right? Those who think that they call the shops. I mean, sometimes in this world we think might makes right. If you got the most might, then you can make it right however you want, right? No. God reigns. God rules. And he's demonstrated that time and again. But the invitation is this, bend the knee, confess with your mouth today, and surrender to his sovereignty. You see, your life and my life should give evidence each and every day that we have surrendered and yielded to him. As authentic disciples, when we hear Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount, my priority, your priority in life, first and foremost is this, seek first the kingdom of God. There's a king who reigns and rules over that kingdom. Listen, modern Christianity has got this so warped today. And it's not really authentic Christianity. We're not the one who tells him what to do. We don't have the prerogative to pick and choose what we want in the book to obey. We don't get to jettison the Old Testament because we don't like it. No, it's the whole counsel of God that is authoritative over us. And we yield to all of it. Because there's a righteousness that goes with our king. So the real question is, what king am I serving this morning? What kingdom am I living for today? Do you know, wherever you're hiding your treasure is an evidence of where your kingdom is. Just truthfully. Your giving is a reflection of what king you serve. 
either God or mammon. And it's a testimony to others, even to our children, about our priorities in life. If our God is sovereign, by the way, who knows all things and has all power, beloved, he can supply whatever you and I have need of at any moment. And he, he just calls us to trust his reign and rule in our life. And we do that, frankly, in our giving. Or maybe we don't demonstrate that in our giving. That, you know what, God, I know you're in control. I know you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and you can tell that cattleman to sell it and supply it if needed. That's who he is. You see, we have to make a choice. There's times when you and I think of God's reign as something merely in the future. Oh, he's coming. He's going to come back and reign and rule on this earth. But see, right now, we're supposed to be demonstrating that reign and that rule. Is it true what it says in the book of Revelation? That Jesus will come and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years? Yes, but he rules today. He is the king of the earth. And you and I are to demonstrate that day by day. That he is the absolute, authoritative, awesome ruler. Sovereign over all things. It's a choice. God will not force you. God invites you. Some don't want to be under what they consider an iron fist. But he doesn't want to rule with an iron fist. He has a, a gentle hand, frankly, that's nail pierced for us. That he wants to reign and rule in your life and my life. And he reaches to us and says, look at my grace and mercy that I extend to you. To be a part of my kingdom where I reign and rule. And not only that, you get to be an heir and a joint heir in his kingdom. Who are we? Who are we to deserve that? And the truth is you will never find joy when you resist God's sovereignty. But the moment you and I learn to rest in his sovereignty, in his plans, and in his purpose. When we rest in his work and what he's trying to accomplish in our life, you will find true joy in life. But you must rest in his sovereignty. You see, he's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. He holds it all in his hands. He's a God of mercy and grace. Slow to anger and full of tender, loving kindness. But beloved, you have to come to him. Because he's already come down to us and made a way. So the question today is really, not can I affirm, my God reigns. But does he reign in my heart, the true test and the true evidence to a world around me?